Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. When Israel looks at its northern borders, it tends to view the neighboring countries of Syria and Lebanon as one front with two sectors and half a dozen elements. There are the military forces under the control of Damascus and Beirut, the Shiite political movement and heavily armed militia Hezbollah, Iranian units and proxies, a resurgent of the Islamic State or Daesh, and the Russian presence in and above southwestern Syria, with a deconflicting mechanism separating it from Israeli attacks against the others, mostly Iranian bases and weapons caches. This has been a relatively constant picture over the last several years with some fluctuations. So can Israeli policymakers be satisfied that all will be quiet on the northern front for the foreseeable future? For that, let us turn to our guests joining us all the way from here in Jerusalem, elsewhere outside of the studio. Brigadier General in Reserve Yossi Kupelvasse, who is the Project Director on Middle East Developments at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. Thank you for joining us, sir. Having me. Also joining us from elsewhere in central Israel is Colonel in Reserve Oven Ben Shalom, who is T- a TV7 Powers in Play panelist, as well as a cross cultural strategist and associate at the Institute for Counterterrorism at Reichman University. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Long title. Thank you. Indeed, and joining us uh, here at the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large uh, and host of TV7 Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the latest developments pertaining uh, to Israel's northern sector, which, even though it's been relatively within the context of a status quo, um, it seems like there are some forces shifting around and, and uh, seeking to change the dynamic. So, Jonathan, just um, as we uh, try, um, at least um, in a clinical way, to um, look at Israel's basic security and uh, distinctly from that, uh, the current security, one may talk about the uh, basic or permanent situation uh, in the north and the current security, which is perhaps one miscalculation on one one incident away from conflagration. So everything uh, we say uh, here now, uh, today, is uh, subject uh, to changes uh, which could take place um, overnight uh, if um, uh, one Air Force uh, sortie by the Israeli Defense Forces uh, goes wrong. There can be some retaliation and then escalation. But then again, uh, the situation can go on like that for for months on end. Now, basically, both Lebanon and Syria are concentrating on their own domestic problems. Lebanon, we know the fuel shortage, corruption, governmental problems, but these problems can uh, erupt in many ways. They can still look inward, but they could still, as uh, General Kupewasser and his colleagues used to say about uh, Yasser Arafat, they could run forward from their problems and uh, start something against Israel. In Syria, 
the Iranians are there and they are being hit by uh, Israel. The Russians are having a, a sort of an overwatch, uh, including the uh, joint patrols with the Syrian Air Force, which are more in the way of uh, the Russians instructing the Syrians and at the same time supervising them. So all in all, one may say that all is quiet on the northern front for the time being. Indeed. General Kupilvas, I'd like to uh, ask you, as the former uh, uh, division chief of, or uh, uh, commander of the research and analysis division within the intelligence directorate of the IDF, to what degree do you look to the north and uh, regard it currently as a satisfactory position from an Israeli perspective? Well, I think definitely it's not a satisfactory position from an Israeli perspective because the efforts of Iran to arm Hezbollah uh, go on unabatedly, and uh, we have to invest a lot in uh, handling this threat and uh, to uh, keep the Iranians at bay and prevent them from delivering the weapons to Hezbollah and to prevent them from entrenching in Iran, in uh, Syria by themselves. And this is an ongoing effort that we are heavily invested in. So it's, we cannot be uh, satisfied with what's going on. Uh, we can be satisfied with the fact that uh, due to our effort, the Iranians and Hezbollah don't, don't met, manage to get what they want, uh, or, all what they, or all of what they want, but they do manage to make progress in uh, having more uh, uh, precisely guided munitions and rockets uh, in the hands of Hezbollah, in having more Iranians in, in Syria, and all of that is happening. Much less than what the Iranians would like to see happening, but uh, still it is happening. And we have to keep uh, working, you know, to make sure that they don't get what they want. And we have to remember, it's, uh, all of this is, is just uh, one part of the bigger, uh, bigger uh, picture uh, that includes also what's going on in Vienna in the context of the Iranian nuclear file. Uh, because if these uh, talks are going to, end, to come to an end without uh, an agreement, uh, the tensions are going to rise. All of that is also a part of the picture that of what's happening in the Ukraine, because much of what the Russians are doing right now has to do with the uh, situation in the Ukraine and their intention to send all kinds of messages to, to the United States through all kinds of uh, uh, channels, including in what's happening in Syria. We saw this last uh, sortie and a flight over uh, the borders of uh, Syria, uh, joint flight with the, the Syrians and the Russians. All of these are things that uh, have an impact on uh, our situation. And of course, the situation inside Syria itself, we saw what's happening with, the, with Daesh in the north. And uh, the situation, of course, in Lebanon itself is also unstable. And a lot of tensions over there and the situation, the economic situation is, is so difficult that, uh, as uh, Amir said, one of the ways open for Hezbollah to uh, sort it out is to uh, uh, escalate. So all of these are things that uh, we have to keep in mind when we look at the situation in the north, and we have to be very much on alert and uh, make sure that we don't make mistakes and uh, make sure that we don't allow the uh, enemies of Israel to have more power in this uh, front to cause damage to Israel. You referred, of course, to the joint uh, aerial maneuver or patrol of uh, Russia and Syria serving as a signal. Uh, I'd like to ask you, Colonel Ben Shalom, as, as uh, somebody who emanated from the Israeli Air Force, uh, to what degree do you see this as a signal necessarily to Israel, uh, despite the fact that uh, 
according to multiple uh, generals and, and senior officers in the IDF, this does not hamper or uh, even limit Israeli action uh, in uh, uh, Syria and elsewhere uh, when it comes to Jerusalem's clearly defined red lines vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Islamic Republic of Iran, the smuggling of weapons, and, and so on and so forth. I certainly think that operationally this has no significance. Remember, the Syrians can fly in Syria to their airspace. Uh, we didn't see any uh, dogfights between Israeli warplanes and Syrians because that's not what we do there. Our, our campaign between the war is really taking out Iranian assets more from standoff attacks and there is really no aerial confrontation. We have a very good uh, deconfliction mechanism with the Russians. Uh, so uh, the fact that they fly together means nothing. Certainly they wanted to convey a message and I think that message was received which means that they are coordinated and the Russians are committed and maybe the Syrians want to show somehow, somehow an, another notch of being more successful in uh, you know, regaining control over, over the country, even though I think that it's an illusion that we, the, the world is sort of buying it as if, as if the uprising that started uh, in 2011 that uh, finally wound down and the Syrians are now in control. When in fact we see even in recent days that it's still a mess and still multiple factors and countries and, and interests are, are at play here. So if I may interject, uh, the uh, last dogfight between uh, the Israeli Air Force and the Syrian one took place more than 36 years ago. And the last dogfight between the Israeli Air Force and the Russian pilots took place almost 52 years ago. So this is not uh, a happenstance. Uh, uh, and um, one may add to that, that most Israeli strikes are at night, while this patrol was in daylight, uh, was not with any aggressive uh, intention. And one does not need uh, so many overflights of Syrian territory now to get uh, information and uh, pictures. You have satellites, you can do it uh, by uh, standoff over uh, the Mediterranean. So one can coexist with the Russians and the Syrians with no real problem. Indeed, and regardless whether those are uh, fresh strikes or past strikes, as you mentioned, uh, the memory is quite fresh on both accounts uh, for both the Russians and Syrians with regard to their encounters with uh, uh, the Israeli pilots. But uh, Rovan Menchalom, uh, if you'd like to continue. I was just saying, it's interesting how in a way we play along with these messages instead of, instead of just brushing them aside, so we sort of play the PR game for everybody. But remember that the powers here have their interests and the Russians are continuing to promote their interests that are mainly to be dominant, to be involved, to be in control and maintain the stability in Syria. The Assad regime has this kind of, as I said, this illusion as if everything is in control and everything's still a mess. The Israelis have some kind of illusion that maybe, you know, the Israeli rhetoric used to be like, we will we will not allow the Iranian entrenchment in, in uh, Syria. So, of course, that entrenchment continues. The, the only thing is, are we able to take out the strategic capabilities that we intend to do? Uh, there's a major shift in Israeli policy in, in the last few years. In the past, it used to be all we want is quiet and we're just waiting for the next big war. And now we are operating significantly on the ground doing a lot of work preparing for the next confrontation, which may be with any day now with a miscalculation, unfortunately, even though the party wouldn't want it. 
Indeed. And I'd like to ask you, General Kupelwassel, you spoke earlier about uh, the JCPOA, the talks in t- uh, currently undertaken in Vienna to try and revive this uh, document. Uh, and if the parties will not reach such uh, a revived understanding or agreement, uh, the situation in Syria or northern Israel may well escalate. But uh, if if I remember correctly, following the 2015 deal, when uh, they uh, reached the agreement and, and uh, implemented it then in 2016 onward, we saw the former Iranian foreign minister, Mohammad Javad Zarif, then travel uh, throughout the region, including in Syria, in Lebanon and elsewhere, to bolster and embolden uh, the proxies, notifying them that they're going to support financially, with the means that uh, this uh, piece of document was granted uh, to them billions of dollars in order to further Iranian revolutionary understandings, calling it, of course, the axis of resistance and and the whole rhetoric and charade that uh, the Iranians bring with it. But ultimately, whether there is an agreement or not, things are going to escalate. I think uh, regardless of whether there is going to be an agreement or not, the Iranians remain committed to their goals. Their goal is to spread their uh, radical view of Islam all over the Middle East and the rest of the world later on, and uh, to get rid of Israel. That's uh, the basic goal. And they are going to continue supporting Hezbollah, whatever comes. That's that's clear. It's going to be easier for them to do that if uh, there is an agreement, because they're going to have much more uh, money to, to support this effort. But uh, they are going to do it even if the, there's no progress. And uh, if there's no progress, the reason for escalation is going to be that if they keep moving towards having the capability to produce a nuclear weapon, which is what they're doing as we speak, then we may approach a point where the Americans are probably going to put more sanctions. That was uh, alluded to by uh, uh, Lord Mali yesterday in the uh, State Department, and uh, or by Israel, who's going to say, okay, we cannot allow this to continue uh, the way it does. And we have to do something uh, that is more uh, painful than just sanctions. And uh, that's uh, something that may cause t- great attention. And uh, we all understand the, how uh, big the dangers are in, in this context. And uh, the, the fear is that uh, if something like that happens, uh, Nasrallah and Hezbollah are going to be asked by the Iranians to uh, get involved. And uh, we have to be prepared for that eventuality. That's that's where we stand, and we have to. Uh, that that is the reason why they support them, as uh, they did in the last several years, and this is the reason why we are working so hard to prevent them from getting this support uh, through Syria in the, in the last couple of years. That's exactly the the, the game, and the, the the question is how this escalation is going to look like, and not only whether it's going to be an escalation. Uh, an escalation is uh, is probable if there is no agreement. And if there is an agreement, there's going to be a dangerous situation for Israel because Hezbollah and the the Iranians are going to have many more resources to support their effort to uh, get better prepared for an escalation. And we are worried about that as well. Indeed. Three points, uh, Amir, which are quite uh, uh, in correlation with one another. The first one is to what degree is Israel currently engaged with a clear understanding of uh, the multiple factors at play in the northern sector 
ahead of a potential conflagration. Of course, the second angle of that is then uh, the the response th- uh, to that, uh, the Tsnufa or momentum uh, uh, strategic paper that was then brought forward by IDF Chief of General Staff of Yvko Khavi, and uh, the force buildup that is attached to that. Then, of course, also looking at the situation and uh, bringing into uh, the factoring understanding the international perspective to the political will or the public understanding of the necessity to launch possibly a preemptive operation to then root out Hezbollah's capacity. Because if I'm not mistaken, if an understanding or an arrangement will be revived between the international community and the Islamic uh, Republic of Iran with regard to the nuclear uh, file, this would mean the emboldenment of Hezbollah, cash flooding into this organization at a time when Lebanon is broke. They will take over that country. Well, a preemptive strike uh, usually takes place when uh, you know that an attack um, by the other side, on the other side, is imminent. What you are really referring to is a preventive war, which is not uh, identical with uh, uh, a preemptive strike, but may include it. Uh, is there a domestic political base in Israel now within the electorate for such um, a move? Um, hardly so. The last time uh, in 1982, when Prime Minister Begin uh, tried to justify it, it didn't uh, succeed. And no government, especially not uh, the uh, uh, very weak one uh, now uh, in Jerusalem, uh, would like to do it unless... Uh, it has um, the knife at its uh, throat. However, Israel um, has four neighboring Arab countries, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon. With two of them, Egypt and Jordan, it has peace agreements. With Syria, of course, there is no peace process right now. Syria is involved in its own problems. But even if there is a renewed diplomatic effort, it will really have to do with a border dispute, and the Syrians will have to recognize Israel's existence within the borders to which it will withdraw following the agreement. With Lebanon, with Hezbollah, it's different. There is no dispute between Israel and Lebanon, but Hezbollah, as you said, is a proxy of Iran's, and Iran is governed by a diehard regime, at least as long as Khamenei is uh, in office um, and and living, and there is no agreement to be reached with them. Um, and as far as we know, um, no one is even talking to the uh, to the other side. So yes, it's dormant, but uh, it could erupt uh, at any moment. And what the Israeli defense forces have been doing for uh, many years now, ever since uh, 2006 at least, is try to build up and adapt the right force for the right mission uh, in order for it uh, to be a very swift and lethal operation for less than a week. Colonel Ben Shalom, your take? I think that perhaps we should uh, stop being a typical democracy that's uh, afraid of the next war and just calculating everything you know, what will happen if there's a miscalculation and God forbid we reach a war. I totally agree with General Kuprovasa that we have to assess the situation according to the long-term goals of our rivals, mainly Iran. 
Uh, we have to respect the fact that they have long-term goals and it's not a calculation of what's going to happen tomorrow morning. They will promote these goals and they won't rest until they achieve them, which means this is the long game. So if part of this will be a calculation, by the way, the, the failed and ruined states of Syria and Lebanon, that if even their calculation is that triggering something on the border may suit their cause at this time, perhaps, and the IDF will be ready for that. The Israeli people have to have the, also the resilience to withstand another war. Remember that we Israelis like to talk about existential threats. We do not have an existential threat yet. Iran does not pose an existential threat before it crosses the nuclear threshold. So, so I cannot speak in terms of being uh, terrified of the next war. I hope it never happens. Right now, my concerns are even looking at the suffering of our neighbors in Syria and Lebanon. These countries are failed. And by the way, their leadership has miserably failed, diverting so much attention and resources to wars. Uh, if it's the Assad regime internally, if it's Lebanon, so much attention to Israel that poses absolutely no threats and no claims whatsoever. So theoretically, there could be peace tomorrow morning because nobody wants anything from the other, right? Wrong, because we're talking about, again, these long-term goals of, of Iran towards us. So that's, what, that's my recommendation. I think we're certainly going to see war. The only question is if it's next week, next year, or in five years. Well, I'd, I'd like to uh, ask a question, General Kupilvasa, which will also uh, quite intrigue Colonel Ben Shalom um, with regard to the Chinese involvement in Syria. We're uh, seeing just a couple of weeks ago an MOU signed between uh, the ambassador of uh, China with uh, the uh, head of uh, one of the institutions in Dama uh, Damascus with regard to the Belt and Road Initiative, which the Chinese have now uh, received all the cards within also the context, of course, between the uh, Russian-Chinese understanding of Russia then assisting Beijing in pushing forward this initiative uh, to start and rehabilitating Syria and, and connect it to this uh, uh, regional slash global uh, endeavor, which would then increase Chinese involvement in that country. Uh, and the fact of the matter is possibly hamper Iranian endeavors, considering the fact that uh, the Chinese also have their own agreement with the uh, Iranians with regard to the 25-year contract of up to 400 billion U.S. dollars. Uh, would you like to elaborate? Well, I think by, for the time being, uh, China is a lesser, less important player in Syria. Yes, they're trying to uh, take advantage of their uh, capabilities and uh, in line with their Belt and Road uh, project, uh, have some more involvement in Syria, but they're not a major player. It's Russia and Iran. And uh, yes, the, the, the role played by uh, China to some extent is uh, not to the liking of uh, Iran, who's uh, expecting to get uh, rewarded for the support it gave to Assad and uh, be given the uh, right to choose whatever they want in uh, the rehabilitation effort and gain some money out of it. Uh, but uh, the Iranians are making their uh, gains uh, simultaneously in, in the ability to bring more people more Shiites to, uh, to Syria and to turn uh, Syria into a more Shiite country. And they take control of areas that were evacuated by Sunnis and uh, turn some Sunnis into Shiites as well. And uh, they believe that this will enable them to, uh, later on to gain some economic uh, uh, benefits also. And I think that uh, for the time being, China is not the, the main problem we have in, uh, in Syria. That's, uh, it may 
uh, happen in the long, in the very long term, but not tomorrow morning. Indeed. We have other things to worry about, and uh, we should focus on them. So I, I think coming back to what Colonel uh, Ben Shalom said before, it's it's so evident that while uh, we see all this uh, destruction in uh, Syria and we see the terrible conditions in in Lebanon, you see Israel, and these are the countries that are supported by Iran, and you see what's happening in Yemen. Uh, the total devastation of, of the of the state, and uh, then you look at the countries that uh, cooperate with Israel, and you see their situation. You see the, the our president uh, visiting uh, the United Arab Emirates, and you see the the progress that the Emirates have done. The extent that uh, some uh, the Yemenis say, no, no, this must be a Jewish settlement <laughs> about uh, the United Arab Emirates. It's uh, that these are the two conflicting or contradicting messages that are fighting each other in the Middle East. Uh, either you want to cooperate with Israel or you want to cooperate with Iran. And see what's going to happen to you if you cooperate with Iran and see what's going to happen to you if you cooperate with Israel. And these are the uh, contradicting uh, messages that uh, we have to be aware of. And unfortunately for the Iranians, the, their message is uh, less uh, convincing. Colonel Menchalom, closing statement from you. Who's talking about human suffering? That's fascinating. The big powers at play here don't care about the human suffering and not dealing with that. Talking about Iranians, Chinese, of course, have their calculus of uh, Belt and Road and economics, Russians, Assad regime. No, so we are talking about human suffering. We have to look at the devastation there. No water, no electricity. And, and that is a very important part of it, because when you have regimes that don't even care about human suffering and all they care about are their strategic long term goals, then that's the fight. The United States is not in Syria now to conquer anything right, to, to look for stability and for promote the better life for the people there. So I think the, the, the clash here between strategy and humanity is, is mind-boggling. Well, the, the few number, numbers, excuse me, of, of uh, U.S. troops in uh, Hasaka and Tanf uh, uh, are not really a factor for combat, but they are uh, a presence uh, just by raising the American flag. Mr. Owen? For the last uh, six years or so, and uh, into the foreseeable future, the president calling the shots uh, in Damascus is not Bashar Assad, but Vladimir Putin. And Russia is in Syria for the long term, um, even though United States and China and Turkey and others uh, have uh, their own uh, interest there. So Israel will have to cut a deal eventually with Russia in order to see its uh, northern border safe and secure, unless it has to take matters into its own hands. Indeed. General Kupelwasser, last sentence. Uh, just, uh, I will just repeat it. That, uh, the situation is very dire at this point of time. Uh, not necessarily because of what's happening inside Syria, but because of what's happening around it. And we have to be very much on alert and uh, keep track of what's happening. And uh, that's the most important thing. Indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today, so I'd like to thank General Kupelwasser, Colonel Ben Shalom, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.